Welcome to episode number five of the One Golden Moment podcast. This is Justice Del Santos, as always. Unfortunately, my partner Rory O'Toole, also known as the Hot Take Machine, also known as the Fax Machine, also known as the Sultan of Scrappy, also known as the Massive Moxie, whichever way you want to slice it. Unfortunately, he will not be here today as he's currently living his best life in the great city of Tahoe. So this episode is going to be a little less of a conversation and more me just spilling my thoughts onto the microphone, but still a lot of fun stuff to talk about, some primetime games to go over, and even some memories to share. Before we get into that, MJ, hit that beat. Once again, welcome to episode number five of the One Golden Moment podcast. Again, this is Justice Del Santos here to talk about the latest week of California Golden Bears men's basketball. A week that featured a pair of losses to USC and UCLA in, depending on how you look at it, the great or not so great city of Los Angeles. And as someone that's from the Bay, you can kind of infer to where I sort of stand on my Northern California versus Southern California stance. As someone that is from the Bay, I rep the Bay Area on my sleeve, Bay Area until I die. But I will have to give the great city, the great county of Los Angeles some credit. I did have the opportunity to travel down there this past weekend in order to cover the games in person against UCLA and USC. In my first opportunity to actually explore the city and the region by myself, I gotta give a little bit of shout out to the to the, to the region of Los Angeles for treating me well while I was down there, but this is not a podcast for me to talk about my experiences in the area, unless we're talking about my experiences watching Golden Bears men's basketball. And there's some basketball games to talk about. And part of that experience was me going down and seeing Cal play USC and UCLA at both the Galen Center and Pauley Pavilion in person. My God, Pauley Pavilion, the bars were raised by a lot of the people that I was talking to about this trip. When I told them I was going to Pauley Pavilion, they were saying, you know, you're gonna love it there, especially as someone as invested as covering college basketball as you. So I was driving down there and I had this, and I envisioned that Pauley Pavilion was sort of the West Coast mecca of basketball. And I don't even think that does it justice. Just because of how beautiful it is, they recently renovated it. I had that moment when I was walking into the hallway and I saw the court for the first time. And I was just honestly in pure awe. If you've never been to Pauley Pavilion and you have the opportunity to do so and you're a college basketball fan, make that trip. It's definitely worth it. Enough about my personal anecdotes, let's get into some Cal Bears basketball. So to recap the week, two games that happened this week, Cal lost to both USC and UCLA. They are now 5-9 and nine on the season, and they have dropped three consecutive games heading into next week. Next week, they will play both Arizona and Arizona State at home. Let's cover the first game, which was against USC. The Bears lost to the Trojans 82-73, and... As you all know, if you are a frequent listener of the One Golden Moment podcast, Rory O'Toole, who again, unfortunately, will not be able to be here with me, predicted that Cal in Los Angeles would upset USC. And unfortunately for him and his take, that was not the case. But if there was a game to do it, if there was ever a time Cal was going to upset USC in the Galen Center, to, this was the game. Because not only was USC without Kevin Porter Jr., who, as uh, frequent followers of the Pac-12 and USC know, he's been out for about a month and a half with a quad injury, they were also without Jordan Usher, who, 
the day prior to USC's game against UC Davis, or actually, I think it was the it was actually the day after the day after being suspended indefinitely and not and missing the game against UC Davis, Jordan Usher on Twitter declared that he had been granted his request to transfer. So they were also without Jordan Usher, but to make a depth issue already worse, Elijah Weaver, who was sort of playing this sixth man role because it had gotten so bad in terms of Cal or USC's depth, rather, he was injured during walkthrough the morning of the game. And I believe Andy Enfield said he's never seen a player get injured during walkthroughs. So essentially, what the Trojans were dealing with, or rather what the Bears were dealing with, was a Trojans team that only had five players that could, that five core players, players that had played a majority of the minutes, and they had to rely on a couple, I believe it was Jerron Brooks uh, in particular, uh, or Jerron Brooks who hadn't played that many minutes leading up to this game, and I believe he played 18 off the bench. That's how bad the depth issues were for USC and you know as I'm watching them play Stanford right now they're currently up 24-14 so they seem to be doing well they seem to just be beating up on the Bay Area teams and unless Stanford wins this game right now the Bay Area is going to be 0-4 against uh, Southern California schools uh, to kick off the season not the best look for someone who wears the Bay Area on his sleeve anyhow so so to recap USC no Kevin Porter Jr. no Jordan Usher no Elijah Weaver, essentially having to ride the few rotation players they do have, not into the ground, but definitely had to rely on them a lot more than they would want to, and they still managed to beat the Bears 82-73. USC zone defense really threw Cal's offensive game plan into the blender in this one. The Bears couldn't get into the paint. They couldn't, they couldn't even get an entry pass to Andre Kelly in, in either the high post or the low post, and that sort of took him out of the game. It definitely did take Juwan Harris Dyson out of the game as well because, you know, slashing is his bread and butter, and without that room to operate, there really wasn't anywhere for him to go in terms of creating his own offense. Now, and because of USC's zone defense, and because they couldn't get the ball into the paint, they'd had the Bears had to rely on a lot of three-pointers, and they shot 27 three-point attempts, the third most this season. They did manage to hit 10 of, 10 of those attempts, which I believe equates to about 37% made for the game. And it it is worth noting that in that game, Darius McNeil only did hit two of his eight three-point attempts. And, you know, if he hits one or two of those attempts, this might be a different ball game. On the flip side, when we're talking about defensive game plans, Cal was absolutely bullied by Nick Rakosevic. Uh, who had a career-high 27 points, 20 of which came in the second half. Uh, Viking Jones decided to st uh, stick with a one-man or one-big-man rotation for the majority of the game, despite Rakosevich's uh, career night. Instead of rolling out the traditional, uh, the more traditional two-big-man lineup that we've seen for on most of the games during this season, you know, you'll see some type of combination of. The, the most frequent one is Andre Kelly and Connor Vanover, but then you'll also maybe see a combination of Connor Vanover and Grant Antisevic, or Grant Antisevic and Andre Kelly. You know, one of those combinations. But what ended up happening is 
Andre Kelly and Connor Vano were, for the most part, had the responsibility of checking Rekosovic, which, and with only one true big man on the floor, that left Justice suing to try and check Benny Boatwright. Now, Rekosovic and Boatwright, both 6'11", their play, style, play styles do differ. Rekosovic is more of the traditional back down in the paint, do the dirty work down low type of big, while Boatwright, sort of a guard in a big man's body. And if you're rolling out one sort of undersized lineup, having to check both of them is going to not be an easy game. And what you ended up with was Rejkosevic, 27 points, career high, Boatwright with 19 points, and 40 USC points in the paint. So it wasn't a great night for Cal defensively, and it really hasn't been a great uh, season defensively for Cal. Now, on uh, on a bit of good news, Connor Vanover did make his return to the floor after missing three games and totaled a career-high 10 points and three blocks. Justice Suing recorded his first double-double of his career, posting 16 points, 11 rebounds, along with four assists, a steal, and a block. Matt Bradley added 12 points off the bench, and Paris Austin totaled 13 points, six assists, and five rebounds. Before getting to UCLA, let's throw in a bit of post-game and see what Viking Jones had to say after the loss to USC. So you shot a uh, 27 three-pointers tonight. How much do you think the uh, USC zone defense sort of influenced what you wanted to do with your game plan coming into this one? Well, they, they forced us to shoot 27 times, 27 threes. We, you know, we're a very good shooting team, you know, and so I'm okay with us shooting 27 threes against a zone that, that, that kind of forced us to. They kept it tight. They, they didn't allow us to throw the ball into the paint much. Um, so I'm okay with us shooting 27 threes. I wish we would have made more. You know, we're, we're a very good shooting, three-point shooting team. So uh, Darius McNeil typically wouldn't go two for eight from three. You know, so he knocks down two more and goes four for eight, and then, then it's a different game. So, um, you know, they gave us that shot, but we're a good shooting team. We should be able to knock those shots down. And someone who was hitting threes tonight was Connor Vanover, his first game back from the broken nose and concussion. What does it mean to have a player like him, 7-3, block shots, stretch the floor? What does that do for both the offense and the defense? Well, he's a weapon out there. You know, it's something that you, you, you have to bring your center away from the rim uh, to guard him. And so, uh, you know, we have that luxury of having him. And he, he, you know, he can knock down shots, but, you know, he really shot the ball well. I think he gave us he gave us something on the offensive end, really helped us on the offensive end, but he's got to get better on the defense. Man. When USC was up by 15, the crowd was getting into it, and we were able to cut it all the way down to four. What was sort of the mentality, the message, in ready, and being able to cut down that lead? We're just going to continue to fight. You know, that's, been, that's been what we've been focusing on all week. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they, they've got great size. We don't. Um, for us to even them up on the boards was, was something that, that we wanted uh, and something that we challenged our guys with all week. And so um, I was happy with our effort. I thought the fight was there. Uh, we just, we just you know, we had some open looks that I thought we normally knocked down. Uh, if we just shot the ball a little bit better, I think it would have been a different game. Uh, Ray Kosovich had the career-high 27 points, Boatwright with the 19. In previous games, you've gone with a two-big man lineup, but most of the time it was one big man, a couple guards, a couple wings. What was sort of the decision-making process there to go with one big man on the floor at any given time? Just to have extra guys that can shoot the ball out there. You know, we, we go with a lineup with Paris and Darius and, and Matt Bradley and, and Justice. Now you got four guys that can shoot the ball. Um, the main, my main uh, 
reason for going with bigger lineups and rebounding. They weren't hitting, they weren't hurting us on the glass. So uh, it just felt like it gave us the best opportunity to score against those guys, having four guys that can shoot the ball. And then you put Connor in the game, now you got five guys that can shoot the ball. Now, if that voice sounds familiar, that's because, as you could probably assume, it was none other than me. And here's the thing about covering games on the road. And this was sort of what happened when I traveled down to Fresno State to cover that game. Uh, when you travel down to games as opposed to just covering games at, well, in this case, Haas Pavilion, but either just home games in general, a lot a lot, a lot smaller turnout of the journalists. And in this one, you know, we were recording it in front of people who were shooting it for the Pac-12. But aside from the people, you know, holding the camera and I posted this video on my Twitter so you can see the sort of how the setup worked. In addition to the person holding the microphone, it was kind of just me there as the only person asking questions. And there was even a point when I believe after I asked my question about Connor, I turned around because there was a couple people beside me also recording. And I asked, like, do y'all have any questions or is it just me? But apparently it was just me. So now transitioning into the game against UCLA. Cal drops that one 98-83, gives up a season high in points there, and also records a season high 19 turnovers. Now, typically, this is a Cal team that doesn't turn over the ball a lot. That was a problem that really affected them last year, and that was one of the reasons that they had one of the more uh, inefficient offenses in the entire country. And the reason the turnover rate's been down this year is because of none other than Oakland's own Paris Austin, but... Paris Austin did not play this game because of a high ankle sprain that he sustained in practice. And that resulted in a lot of Matt Bradley playing point guard. I'll get to that in a little bit. But in addition to Paris Austin not being in the starting lineup, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of familiar faces that weren't in the starting lineup. As Viking Jones rolled out easily his most ambitious concoction of a starting lineup not even of the year, in his entire coaching tenure. And there's some familiar faces, but when you sort of put it all together, it, it strikes you as a little odd. So my assumption with Paris being out, would that someone of either Matt Bradley or the Jawan Harris-Dyson effect would, you know, swap in, you know, maybe Connor comes back into the starting lineup and instead of uh, maybe Grant Antasevich, so he did start Bradley and Harris Dyson. He also started Jacoby Gordon, who made his first career start. And he also started Grant Antasevich and Connor Vanover, who was making his first start since returning from injury. So let me read that starting lineup. Matt Bradley, Juwan Harris Dyson, Jacoby Gordon, Grant Antasevich, Ant Antisevich, excuse me, and Connor Vanover. That is, so that means no... Justice Suing, no Darius McNeil, and no Andre Kelly, who were all healthy. And when I throw in the audio of White King Jones uh, during the postgame, you'll sort of uh, hear his rationale for it. But that starting unit of Bradley, Harris Dyson, Gordon, Antisevich, and Vanover didn't play that much together. But what they did do is they came out and sort of punched UCLA in the mouth in the first couple of minutes, and they got out to an early 9-2 lead. And when I saw that starting lineup come out, I was kind of expecting it to just be a very awkward fit personnel-wise because in addition to this being the first time this starting lineup has ever been rolled out, I think this might have been the only time this lineup in particular is played together. I don't believe we have lineup 
information, but it's not really a group that you'll see much of just playing together. But you got to give them credit. They did come out, gave Cal an early 9-2 lead, uh, you know, sort of gave them a little bit of an energy boost. And that sort of propelled them for most of the first half until UCLA, uh, with a team as talented and athletic, eventually did what it does. In regards to Suing and McNeil and Kelly, heading into this game, this was a unit that only had three appearances off the bench combined. Kelly, being a freshman, had never came off the bench in any game. Suing had only come off the bench in one game, which was his first career game. And Darius McNeil had only come off the bench twice, which was in his first and second career game. But despite coming off the bench, neither Suing nor McNeil uh, seemed all that phased by the decision. They actually turned out some of their best performances of the season. McNeil had a season-high 23 points and a career-high 7 steals, really getting after it in the passing lanes. And Suing nearly had another double-double, totaling 18 points and 9 rebounds. With him coming so close, you gotta think, maybe if he was in the starting lineup, he maybe gets that 10th rebound. Anyhow, and in his first time really taking on that point guard role, Matt Bradley ended with 15 points, 3 rebounds, and 5 assists. He did have the 4 turnovers, so, you know, room to grow, but he did look impressive. And, you know, this is something that I'm going to get to again a little more in the podcast. This is, we're we're about 22 minutes in and we're still at the recap point of this podcast. But Connor Vanover in his second game back tied his career high of 10 points. But he also smashed his previous career high in minutes played, with 29 minutes played. His previous career high came in the USC game with only 15 minutes, and heading into this game, he was averaging about 10-11 minutes. So it was definitely a very big jump for him, and he did mention that in the postgame that, you know, he was a little fatigued as the game winded down. So the sort of the big stat of the night that really sticks out was not just the turnovers the 19 turnovers but as a team Cal shot four of 20 from the three-point line and this is typically one of the more solid three-point shooting teams in the Pac-12 I don't have the stat pulled up in front of me but I believe off top uh, Justice didn't hit a three Connor didn't hit a three Matt didn't hit a three and there's another player that I'm forgetting to mention but the only player who was able to knock down threes was Darius McNeil, who I believe finished three of seven from beyond the arc. And it was a very weird game in that, you know, there was it wasn't because these looks were contested either. These were a lot of really clear, open looks. And, you know, if given another opportunity, these are looks that probably that Cal probably hits. And, you know, if they hit, let's say, even four or five of those looks, this is again, like in the USC game. This is a completely different a different game, and considering that they were able to put up an like eighty points without the three ball consistently being there for them, you know this is a game that leads me to believe that just further strengthens my personal belief in this offense as a unit. Right before starting this podcast, I looked at where Cal ranks in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. For the millionth time, shout out to Ken Palm. They make writing articles a lot easier and a lot more informative. But what I noticed was, I already knew that they were in the top 100 of offensive efficiency, but I believe they were as low, or rather as high, as 79th on that list. And this was a team last year that was 
far below. So to see them make that jump from year one of the Viking Jones era to year two and see how functional this offense has been leads me to believe that, you know, come conference play, while the defense may not be there from night to night simply because of the personnel issues, this is a team that might just be able to, on a hot shooting night by Darius or Matt or Justice or Paris or any, name anybody, that actually might be able to win more than the one game that it's projected to win via, uh, via Ken Palm or, in the case of ESPN, the zero games that they're projected to win. And before getting into my general observations for these two games, let's again hear what Viking Jones had to say, as well as what Connor and Matt both had to say after the loss to UCLA. I'm just going out there and playing hard. Uh, first time back from percussion, and uh, I knew that I needed to get in there and try to produce and do as much as I could. You played a lot of minutes tonight. Uh, how were you feeling down the stretch? Um, I was honestly pretty fatigued, um, but I just kept pushing through it. Um, they're always talking about having energy and having a fight, and so I just had to fight through it. And um, I just got to keep um, getting my conditioning back up uh, to where it was before. Talk about battling mode Moses Brown down there. You did a real good job of it. Eventually, he you know, had pretty good numbers, but maybe talk about going up against Moses tonight. Uh, it was great playing against another guy my size. There's not really that many um, around, um, but playing against him, and there's certainly others in the Pac-12 I'll play against, but um, it's good prep for other games going forward to play against other people my size. Uh, you were pretty hot against USC from the perimeter, missed a couple tonight. Any, anything you felt differently? Um, I was just a little flat on my shot. Um, I just got to get in the gym and keep working on it. Yeah, it felt really good to be back in L.A. Uh, I had a lot of friends, a lot of family here, and uh, I just felt really confident going out there and playing. Even though it wasn't our home court, uh, it's kind of home for me, so it felt really good. So, Talk yeah. about your game today. You played a lot of different roles out there. I mean, how did that How did that feel? Yeah, so Paris got hurt, so I had to step up and play the one for most of the game. And uh, at first, you know, I was kind of had some nerves, but Paris talked to me, told me I was going to be fine. And uh, I just went out there and played hard and tried to be mistake-free, but... Uh, we ended up not coming out with the win, but I'm not mad with the uh, way I play. So. Pretty physical out there, especially in the first half. Something happened. What was going on in the first half that got seemed to get you pretty riled up? Uh, first half, man, I don't know what was going on. I think like the foul counts or whatever was like. I, I was trying to be aggressive, but they called some unnecessary fouls. I feel like, but uh, I don't know. I mean, just got push forward and uh, let it go, which I have a hard time doing sometimes. But uh, I'm all right with it. Yeah, offensively, we look pretty good. We still are, but I mean, there's still some issues on defense. Uh, what are kind of the thoughts on the defensive end as we go into the season? Uh, transition defense, I mean, we got to work work on that. Maybe it has to do with like, having good stamina or being fatigued, but uh, we got to get back on defense, and uh, we got to clog the bigs, and we can't really let them like get what they want against us. I think that's one of the biggest things. Your shot continues to look really good. I mean, maybe talk us about your mindset on taking the three and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I wasn't falling today, but it felt really good. And I, if, if I would have had a couple more, I think I would have knocked him down. But, um, I mean, I just got to keep working on it. Next game, I think I'm going to knock him down. I'll be all right. So. I just wanted to shake it up. I just wanted to shake it up a little bit. I mean, I think that sometimes, you know, guys think that the start, that starting position is just something that, that, that's given, that, that, that it's just a given that they're going to start. But I just wanted to do something different. The guys that I started had been working hard. Uh, They've been giving us great things in practice, and uh, I decided to go with that moment. The guys that did not start, how do you feel they responded to that today? I think they responded well. I think Darius came in the game and, and gave us energy, and uh, he was aggressive offensively, did some good things offensively, had seven steals, and Justice played a solid game as well. Uh, I don't think it affected them at all. 
the guys that did start, they set a good tone for us. And they came out. I think we were up nine to, nine to two at, at one point. Uh, they came out. They scrapped. They fought. And um, you know, I think they set a really good tone for us for the game. You know, Harris hurt his ankle uh, yesterday at practice. Maybe talk about what it's like playing without him and your expectations well, of tough. when he comes back. You know, you know, you turn the ball over 19 times. We don't turn the ball over 19 times without with, with, with Paris in the lineup. Um, you know, he takes care of, 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 of you know, he, he, he has no fear against presses. And so um, I think that they probably pressed us more than they would have had, had Paris uh, played. So, um you know, that was, that was, you know, against these guys, when you turn it over, you know, it's a problem because they're so athletic and so talented that, it, you know, I think, I think they maybe scored on 90% of the transition. And so, um, you know, we don't turn the ball over. It's a different game. Yeah, that being said, how would you characterize kind of Matt Bradley's play at the point today? He played some new. I thought he was solid. I thought he was solid. Um, you know, you still want to keep Darius at the two and, and, and keep him aggressive. Um, I thought he, I thought he was solid. He ended up with five assists. He turned it over a little bit too much. He had four turnovers, but but you know I thought he was solid. You know our defense, it's it is what it is at this point. But um, UCLA's got plenty of size. But mm-hmm. what, are, what are kind of the what was the game plan today against them? And what are we going to do? The game plan was to make them to make them shoot over the zone. And you know you, you got a guy in Jules Bernard who is not a, a great three point shooter up to the, up until today. You know, he hits, he goes four for seven from three. You don't anticipate that happening. Um, you know, so so the game plan was to make them make them, make them shoot out of zone and, and keep them out of the lane because Jalen Hands and those guys they get in the lane they cause problems they throw the ball over the top to Moses Moses Brown for dunks and so we, we, the game plan was to keep them out of the lane. So if Justice hits that late three, you guys are down six with about ninety seconds to go. So you're in it. I mean, mm-hmm. You got to be proud of the way the guys. Fought. Oh, the guys! The guys definitely fought. We we keep 50-50 balls. We keep that as a stat, and and we won the 50-50 battle. Um, you know, we just we just we turned the ball over too much, and we didn't shoot the ball well tonight. Us going four, 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 twenty from the three-point line. That's that's not us. You know, um, you know, Justice 0 for four. Uh, Counters going 0 for three. And Matt 0 for 3, that's not that's not typical of, of, of our team. We usually shoot the ball a lot better than that. How many minutes did Connor play tonight? I didn't... Connor played 29 minutes okay, tonight. So that's, that's about double what he's been playing. But it was, so he, he misses two and a half, three weeks. Then he comes out here and has two career highs. How would you characterize his performance, at least offensively, this weekend? He's just, he's just, he's, you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't look like a freshman out there. You know, he's just ready to play. He's ready to play, and, and anything that we ask him to do, he's, 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 just, he's just ready to do it. And so, um, I'm happy with his play today. Um, I think he, the stats say he has one block, but I know he changed a bunch of shots. Changed a bunch of shots, and having him down there in that length, um, I think I think helped us tonight. Well, yeah, two in the first half that I saw, so I don't know how they have one down for yeah, long, but um, so be it. Final question, back, back to Paris quickly, coaches. Do you have any sense of how long he'll be out? I have no idea. It's a high ankle sprain. Um, I don't know. Hopefully we'll have him back for his own season. And as you'll notice, the person asking in the majority of those questions, actually asking all those questions was not me, but Eric McDonahue of Bear Insider, who to my knowledge, was the only other journalist covering Cal from the Cal perspective among the journalists that I'll typically see. But with sort of the recap, what are we at, like the 30-minute mark now? But with sort of the recap, 
aspects out of the way in terms of uh, these past two games. I just want to get into the observations that I had and a lot of stuff to talk about between these two games. Would have been fun to talk with Rory, especially because he predicted Cal would beat USC, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll have a lot in the tank uh, for the next podcast, especially after Cal plays a pair of some contenders in the Pac-12 in Arizona and Arizona State. Now, the first thing I want to get to, because I've constantly alluded to it, I've said, I'll talk about it later, I'll talk about it later, is Matt Bradley playing point guard. Now, this was this came about because of circumstance, and I doubt that if Paris Austin is healthy, Viking Jones is going to throw Matt Bradley out for extended time and have him play the point guard position. That being said, though, he was, and considering this was essentially his first time consistently manning the floor, orchestrating the offense over an extended period of time, he did look real, he did look really solid. Now, there were some turnovers that were a result of just immaturity at the position, but he did do an excellent job of, you know, sort of being that calming presence when their typical veteran presence in Paris Austin was not there. And while I don't see, while I don't envision a scenario in which, you know, he's out there running the point guard with Paris on the floor, I do envision a scenario in which when Paris is on the bench, you know, Matt Bradley sort of takes over as, you know, the primary ball handler. And what this allows is, it allows Darius McNeil to continue to be comfortable with the two-guard position instead of forcing him to uh, play out a position. The one thing that I will note about Matt Bradley sort of being more of that one as opposed to a two or a three is that with Paris Austin out of commission, you know, as Viking Jones did mention in the postgame, UCLA probably ran that full court press a lot more than if Paris was still playing. So that's sort of the biggest detriment to having Matt out there as your primary ball handler as opposed to Paris. It's definitely just the fact that from an age perspective, Paris is a senior while Matt is still a freshman getting his feet wet in the Conference of Champions. <laughs> that mantra. But it definitely it definitely was encouraging to see him dish out those five assists. Some of the turnovers weren't necessarily turnovers as a result of him just being sloppy with the ball. Some of them were the result of him seeing something but just not being able to execute the pass there was a play when I believe it might have been Justice was open in the left corner and Matt tried to swing a pass to him and just was off the mark, but he had the right idea. And there was another pass that was intercepted where Connor was under the rim and there was probably a split second where Connor was actually open and he did see him there, just that that pass got intercepted. So it was a very, as Viking Jones did say, it was a very solid performance from Matt Bradley in the point guard position. Will we see more of him? Time will tell, especially if Paris Austin is healthy. But I would be intrigued to see him run that line, or not necessarily that lineup, but run him out as the primary ball handler and essentially take that pressure off of Paris Austin to be the only uh, true point guard on the floor. It is worth noting that Cal at this point in time does not have a traditional backup point guard. That's probably something that they'll get next year. Uh, with some combination of Charles Smith or Joel Brown, depending on how comfortable they are at the point guard position. The second thing that I wanted to get into was 
you know, these losses, like from a points perspective and how they ended up, you know, nine points and 15 points, they seemed as if these games where it was, you know, one-sided, but these were not one-sided games by any stretch of the imagination. The Bears definitely had some fight in them in these games, and that was something that we didn't always see last year. The uh, in, Against the in USC, there was a point when, you know, this was sort of my lead for the story of writing the recap, when Jacoby Gordon missed a pair of free throws. I can't remember if they were the technical free throws or not. Uh, now that I remember, I don't believe they were the technical free throws. And he missed both of them. The Galen, Galen Center, because he missed both of them, because he's an opposing player missing two free throws, everybody got free Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And nothing excites a crowd more than Chick-fil-A. So the crowd was getting into it as a result of those missed free throws. And this definitely had the potential for USC to just completely run away with the game and make this make a 15-point lead into a 20-point lead, into a 25-point lead, into a 30-point lead even. But that's not what happened. Despite being down by 15 on the road, Cal definitely did have some fight in them. And they came all the way back and they trimmed that lead all the way down to four. Now, when you're spending a majority of the time trying to come back and, you know, go from 15 points to just draw even, you are going to expend a lot of energy. But this has sort of been a trend throughout the season. Another game that comes to mind is the St. Mary's game from way back when. This was a game in which, you know, just being at Mechion Pavilion, a pavilion that's just rowdy, it's like a high school gym and the walls close in on you just because it's so small. Despite them being down, despite them being on the road, in their first true road game, especially that game in particular, that was the first road game for many of the freshmen on this team. And they still managed to show a little bit of a fight and make this game and make that game in particular competitive down the stretch. And the same thing happened during the UCLA game as well. I don't have the exact number with me. I believe that UCLA was up by as much as 14 points and Cal was able to trim that down to nine. Now, off top, that doesn't sound, you know, like they had a little bit of fight. It was just like they made like a small little run. But when you consider that Cal missed 16 of their 23-point attempts, and you see that they still had 83 points, this is a, this was a circumstance where you're looking at that game and you're thinking that, you know, if Cal's on, that's a completely different ball game. And, you know, some of those three-pointers down the stretch that would have allowed the game, or UCLA's lead to continue to trickle down. Some of those three-point attempts didn't fall. In particular, there was a three-point attempt by just assuming that didn't go down that would have cut the lead to six. But just the fact that Cal is putting themselves in a position despite being down to stay in the ball game has to be an encouraging sign, especially when some of these games are going to be played at home and they're going to have all I can't say the momentum because according to the Daily Cal, we don't believe in the term momentum, but when they have all the energy, everything's going against them and that crowd's getting into it, especially as we get later into the season and these home crowds start to get more and more occupied, there's going to be a point when if Cal's down and they're starting to come back into a game, they're going to potentially complete that comeback. And that leads me into the next thing I want to talk about, which is the offense. As we know, last year, the offense was one of the let's just be real the offense was one of the worst in the country and that's not me trying to take a shot that's rather just a matter of fact they didn't have consistent three-point shooting 
Don Coleman was one of the statistically worst three-point shooters in the entire uh, Pac-12, if not the entire country. Marcus Lee wasn't a shooter. Kingsley Okoro wasn't a shooter. Dewan Harris-Dyson wasn't a shooter and still is not a shooter. But now what you have... I mentioned this when I was talking about in my non-conference wrap-up for Cal, which if you have not read, please take a moment to read that because I spent a lot of time on that, as well as my Pac-12 non-conference recap. Enough uh, plugging myself. But this Cal team compared to last year definitely has shooters up and down the lineup. And you look at who this team has, Connor Vanover, Justice Suing, Darius McNeil, Matt Bradley, shooters up and down this lineup. And eventually there's going to be a game where instead of Cal going four from four of 20 from three-point line, they go something ridiculous, like maybe 14 of 20, 15 of 20, hell, even 16 of 20 if they get hot enough. And there's going to potentially be a game where that offense you know, despite the de- or in spite of the defense, may just carry Cal to a win and avoid this whole debacle of them not being able to win a game in non-conference or rather conference play. But to do that, they are going to have to figure out how to consistently attack the zone defense. They've been in these two games in conference play against USC and UCLA, as well as some of the non-conference game you'd see opposing teams run a zone and in you know this is college basketball the zone is utilized much more just because of the way the rules are set up and it's almost rare to see a team that does not utilize the zone at all but you see what happened against the usc game in particular when there was a lot of moments when the offense was stifled and they didn't really have anywhere to go and they were forced to shoot a lot of three-pointers. Now, while they are a good shooting three-point shooting team, when you're jacking up that many shots, it's sort of the result of, you know, there's not a lot of movement. You're trying to get around the perimeter. You're trying to find some semblance of an opening. And it's just going to lead to an offense that doesn't flow as much as when you have an equal balance of three-pointers, two-pointers, as well as transition, post-ups, layups, etc., etc. So they are going to have to work on figuring out that zone defense I am going to be interested to see if Arizona State and Arizona do throw out a zone defense against them. I'm willing to bet that they probably are. And if Cal figures out a way to exploit that zone defense, to find a way to consistently score, that sort of changes up the way that opposing teams have to game plan that. Because if they can score against the zone defense, then it just opens up a realm of possibilities in terms of what they can do and how they can utilize their weapons. If they go man, maybe get the ball down to Andre Kelly, who has been one of the players who has been particularly disadvantaged by the the opponent's use of zone. Now, trying to figure out the zone isn't as easy as it may seem, especially with a team that's inexperienced with handling the college zone as Cal. But if they're going to want to avoid a winless conference play that's definitely the major hurdle that cal is going to have to overcome in the coming months the defense i hate to say it is what it is but you gotta feel like at this point in time you know cal is one of the worst defenses in the entire nation definitely the worst in the entire pac-12 and it's hard to come up with a quick fix solution to that especially in regards to the matter of having you know a true stopper on the wing and a true stopper as a rim protector 
you know, Connor Vanover has definitely shown flashes of his ability to protect the rim. But my one reservation is that, you know, we've yet to see it over a full game. You know, the US, or rather the UCLA game was the first game that he played more than 20 minutes. So, you know, it brings the question, like, as to how he would respond to playing, you know, having to protect the rim and having to bump bodies over maybe 25, 30 minutes. This is, this would probably be the time where I asked Rory if he had any final thoughts, if there's any uh, final matters, but since it's only me, as much as I would love to continue to ramble on about uh, my adventures in Southern California, I'm gonna cut it off right here. Uh, with that being said, this has been Justice Del Santos, episode number five of the One Gold Moan podcast. Until next time, signing off.